New Taipei City is promoting an old age care strategy for pets. The city has a large number of treatment providers for animals. Today we meet Xiao He, a guard dog at a New Taipei high school. He has been a faithful member of the school community for 20 years. Now a centenarian in dog years, he's enjoying life in the slow lane accompanied by a New Taipei vet. Xiao Hei loves people. The cheeky mongrel has a unique job as the ever-loyal protector of Shulin High School. Xiao Hei has been guarding the school grounds for almost 20 years. Now at the grand old age of 21, he's about 100 in human years. He's the longest serving member of staff at the school and the oldest school dog in Taiwan. And now he has a new friend on his team. Xiao Hei lives at school and was once a constant presence as a guard dog patrolling all the corridors. Now he's stationed at his own fixed post. Xiao Hei came to Shulin in 2003 and became a part of the school. Between lessons, students always pat him and chat with him when they go by him. As he gets older, Xiao Hei has gotten weaker in the knee joints. New Taipei Animal Protection Office sent a vet to Shulin to do a checkup on his health, as well as sending some equipment and nourishing foods to help keep Xiao Hei as comfortable as he can be. Pet owners can choose from 125 certified pet care and treatment providers under the jurisdiction of New Taipei. Currently, we have more qualified providers than anywhere else in the country. They can help relieve the burden of pet owners. New Taipei is promoting an old age care strategy for pets, aiming to give beloved friends like Xiao Hei a happy and peaceful final chapter in life. Tonight, we continue our safari through Taiwan's magnificent insect kingdom. One of our lesser known insects is the carrion beetle. As its name suggests, the carrion beetle makes life out of death, feeding on dead animals and returning them to the cycle of life. Let's hear more from a beetle expert from National University of Tainan to find out more. In corners often ignored by human eyes, certain insects carry out vital deep cleaning work. They quietly digest dead animals, absorbing their nutrients and turning them into new life once more, continuing the cycle of life on Earth. In our lab, we happen to study the behavior of Nepali carrion beetles. They are a cool stenothermic insect. They can't reproduce in very hot places. Before the carrion beetle buries a dead body, it prepares the body, using its mandibles to remove the organs as well as the fur. Then it uses its six legs to rock the carcass and loosen the surrounding soil. That makes the body gradually sink into the soil. On the back of the sixth segment of its abdomen, it has two flies, which are kept underneath its wing cases. So it has two ridges underneath the wing cases, so when it moves its body, those files rub up against it and create the buzzing noise. The male and female have very different calls. The male makes a deeper sound which it often uses to assert itself and find mates. The female makes a higher sound which it uses to call young to itself for feeding. After a month in a chrysalis, the young emerge, leaving the carcass for a new world. They then begin, like their parents before them, to search for a new carcass. Turning death back into life is their purpose. 
A student at National Taiwan University of Science and Technology has scored a gold medal at a special edition of the World Skills Competition in Switzerland, a world championship of national vocational skills. The student is Lei Fengyue, a 23-year-old who took the top spot in the prototype modeling event, which tests participants' skills at designing, producing, and finishing tools and machines. Lei had tough competition as he was up against employees from tech powerhouses such as Samsung and Toyota. Let's hear from him. I was very surprised. I didn't think I'd be able to get the gold medal. It was very exciting. It's something worth celebrating. Lei had previously participated in competitions testing competence in industrial machinery maintenance and machinery in general. This time, he competed in the prototype modeling event. Perhaps it was thanks to his foundation in the field that he was able to operate the machinery so well, allowing him to score the gold medal. He was very surprised. The second place went to a Japanese competitor, an employee at Toyota. And then there was one from Samsung, the South Korean giant. He was shocked that he was able to stand out among the competition, but of course, he's thrilled. A team of 57 Taiwanese specialists will be taking part in the competition putting their skills to the test in 50 different categories. Lei's victory in the first event is sure to put the delegation in high spirits over the course of the competition in days to come. If you have traveled to Elam by train, you've probably seen the whimsical flying train art installation by illustrator Jimmy Lau. Now the train will no longer be flying. Years ago, a typhoon blew the artwork to the ground, resulting in costly damages. The county government back then decided to take the installation down and put it up again with every storm. But with the piling removal and installation costs, the government has decided to leave the train grounded at a different location after Typhoon Muifa passes. Wrapped up in red canvas are the segments of a train art installation by illustrator Jimmy Liao. They are all on the ground to weather the typhoon. The train was brought down two weeks ago due to Typhoon Hinnomnor, as is done every time a typhoon approaches. And with Typhoon Muifa close to Taiwan, the train remained grounded, and it might stay that way. The Elan County government has decided to retire their installation and not hang it up again. The reason is that every time it gets put up and down, it costs the government hundreds of thousands of dollars. I think it's a waste of money. Getting a crane to come costs money. Putting it up and down over and over again wastes a lot of government money. Initially, the flying train installation wasn't designed to be on show for a long time. The local government only started bringing down the train after a typhoon blew it down years ago, resulting in repairs costing more than 1 million NT. It was then decided to take the installation down before storms approached. The train was put up in January 2014. It consists of a locomotive with five carriages stretching 30 meters and weighing around three tons. The Elan County government says it will find a new location for the artwork and that after discussions with the illustrator's design team, a new typhoon-proof installation will be put up in the vacant space. 
the materials, the attachments, and all the installations and objects that could be dangerous will be taken off. We'll make sure that whatever gets put up there after the train won't have to be taken down with every typhoon. Meanwhile, in the nearby Dongshan Township, an inflatable lantern in the shape of a rabbit hugging the moon remains fully in place despite the storm. It will remain there until the end of October. The heavy showers brought about by Typhoon Muifa in the east and northeast coasts could continue until Wednesday, according to the Central Weather Bureau. And forecasters say more wet weather could be on the horizon. A tropical depression that's formed out east could strengthen into another storm that could approach Taiwan. Let's hear from a forecaster. Tomorrow, Typhoon Muifa will be to the north-northeast of Taipei. It'll be moving at a slower speed, so the weather will only gradually become more fair starting September 14th. Tropical Storm Murbok, which is the 13th tropical storm of the year, will just move north and not affect Taiwan at all. But over the coming week, a depression south of Japan could form into a tropical front. As of Monday at 5.30 p.m., Typhoon Muifa has brought 450 millimeters of rain to New Taipei's Wulai District, raising alerts for landslide. The Soil and Water Conservation Bureau has issued two red landslide alerts in the district's Xingdian borough with uh, the two yellow alerts in Fusan borough. Residents near uh, Wusa Creek were evacuated in the morning to a safe location. The 79th annual Venice International Film Festival has come to a close, but in Taiwan, the jubilation continues. Director Singing Chen's VR film about the victims of the White Terror era has gained recognition at the event. The film gives an immersive look at life during that tragic era, and Chen hopes it will allow young Taiwanese to better understand the sacrifices of the past generation. Let's hear from the director. Best experience to the Man Who Couldn't Leave by Singing Chen. Under the roar of applause, director Singing Chen accepts an award for her VR film, The Man Who Couldn't Leave. The film won the Best Experience Award at the 79th Venice International Film Festival's Venice Immersive Event. The award is the highest honor for the event. I would like to thank the jury I would like to thank the Venice Film Festival and the judges for giving us affirmation through this award. First of all, I would like to thank the National Museum of Human Rights in Taiwan for starting us on this wonderful journey. Reading from her prepared acceptance speech, Chen was clearly moved by the award. The last award given to a Taiwanese director at the Venice Awards was in 2017. <laughs> The film is set in the 1950s on Green Island during the White Terror era and visits the lives of victims of political persecution. Through an immersive VR experience, viewers get a deep understanding of this tragic period of history. VR is about people. This VR experience is about Taiwan in the 1950s. Many of the previous generations sacrificed themselves for ideals and freedom, and it was them who gave us strength. We will carry on in that spirit. After Chen received her award, the Taiwan Creative Content Agency shared the news on its Facebook page. Chen's own page was also flooded with messages of congratulations. The film took two years to produce, but all of that effort will help a new generation better understand history. Meanwhile, Chen's award has once again brought Taiwan into the limelight. Local elections are just around the corner. In Pingdong, some voters might face a confusing ballot box. There are two Yangs up for election. Luckily, they're up for different jobs, and 
they're separated by 20 years of age, so hopefully voters won't get too muddled. We spoke to both Chens, one a Pingdong County councillor, the other a local community chief. Chen Yang, 34, is seeking re-election as Pingdong County Councillor. He's changed his official name four times. As a child, he used his father's surname. His mother is Paiwan, and when the Status Act for Indigenous Peoples passed, he took her surname. Later, to sit as a county councillor, he gave up his official indigenous status. At university, I became Lai Chen Yang. My mom's surname was Lai. My dad's surname was Chen. My given name is Yang. So I had two surnames. And then when I went up for election, in order to regain my status as ethnically Han and participate in the election, I removed my mother's surname and became Chen Yang. Chen revealed that his mother was disappointed when he stopped using her surname. He did some research and discovered that he could still legally change back to indigenous status one more time. That convinced her to assent to the name change. But then his election adverts were spotted by the wife of none other than, well, another Chen Yang. He and I were in a car driving into Pingdong City to do some shopping. We saw a billboard saying Chen Yang. I said to my husband, Wow, this is amazing. You're coming here to get on the county council. But that photo is not you. I have this name for more than 50 years. Now everybody calls me Old Yang. Chen Yang, 54, is now up for representative of Majia Township for the second time. He's got a very different political background to Chen Yang, the county councillor. But both share indigenous heritage and a full name. They each told us that they wish their namesake all the best at the ballot box. Last week, multinational investment bank JP Morgan was quoted in reports as saying that TSMC could reduce its monthly chip output by 15,000 pieces amid a fall in orders. MediaTek, Advanced Micro Devices, Qualcomm and NVIDIA have all reportedly slashed orders with the chip-making giant, resulting in the shutdown of four of TSMC's extreme ultraviolet lithographic machines. The report said that the move would result in TSMC's net profit to fall by 8% in 2023. But analysts say that TSMC's fabs are expected to continue operating at full capacity until the first half of 2023, adding that any EUV shutdown would just be part of routine maintenance procedures. Let's hear from the experts. The monthly production capacity of TSMC's EUVs is 250,000. Shutting down four EUVs would reduce output by 15,000 units at most. But in reality, we don't think that TSMC would shut down four EUVs at once. Instead, it would lock four machines and upgrade them in batches. Although there is some turbulence because of the orders, production is still at full capacity right now and we've heard that it will remain at full capacity even in the face of less optimistic economic prospects at year's end and in the first half of 2023. TSMC's equipment upgrade would affect the ASML 3400 series, which is used to produce 7 nanometer and 5 nanometer chips. It'd be upgraded to the 3600 series, which can produce the more advanced 5 nanometer and 3 nanometer chips. TSMC's software and hardware updates 
are a good direction for the production configuration that the company has planned for the future. Statement, TSMC said that it has plans to upgrade its equipment in a way that doesn't affect company operations. Even despite the reports, TSMC shares on Monday closed up 11.5 NT or 2.42% at 486.5 NT. The KMT has long insisted that its so-called 1992 consensus with the CPCP left the definition of China open to interpretation. However, a recent article in a China state-run newspaper has refuted the idea that the KMT is free to determine what one China means in practice. This tough CCP stance means that there is no room for the ROC, and that puts the KMT in a bind. Nevertheless, the party insists that it can find common ground with Beijing. Chinese Communist Party-run newspaper, the CPPCC Daily, recently published an article allegedly busting myths surrounding the so-called 1992 consensus. The article says the consensus means that there is only one China, and that the definition of China is not open to interpretation. It adds that the KMD has hijacked the consensus and distorted its meaning. The article seemed to take aim at Eric Chu, who, during a recent visit to the U.S., claimed that there was a consensus without consensus between China and Taiwan. It's written very clearly in our party's charter. The 1992 consensus is that there is one China with different interpretations. That's the original nature of it, and that can't be changed. The two sides of the Taiwan Strait have always sought common ground while putting aside differences. I will reiterate, they can say what they like about it, and we say what we like. Is that not different interpretations? The 1992 consensus and one China with different interpretations are inseparable. Without the different interpretations, there is no 1992 consensus. The KMT defends its 1992 consensus, insisting that both it and China can interpret the concept differently. Still, the party has maintained a relatively vague position on the matter. With the local elections fast approaching, touching this sensitive cross-strait issue could be a costly mistake. We maintain a firm stance, which is to safeguard the sovereignty of the ROC, to guarantee the rights of its citizens, and to protect its democracy, freedoms, and rule of law. I think everyone understood the matter already, but some people just want to hold on to their delusions. Chen was not alone in his critical words for the KMT. Well-known political commentator Li Zhenghao also urged the KMT to stop deceiving itself. Xi Jinping wants to redefine the 1992 consensus ahead of the CCP's 20th National Congress. Eric Chu's explanation of the concept is clearly meant to avoid addressing the heavy questions. I think people already see through the KMT's lies. There is no more room for different interpretations. The KMT has two options. It can keep engaging with the CCP, but in that case, I'm sorry, but it shouldn't call itself an ROC party. It should instead refer to itself as a PRC party. The second possible path would be to delete the 1992 consensus from the KMT party charter and never discuss it again. The KMT insists it can find common ground with China while protecting the interests of the Taiwanese. Whether the public agrees will be seen at the polls. Taiwan took a step forward returning to pre-pandemic life on Monday. Starting today, travelers from dozens of countries can once again enter Taiwan without a visa. Meanwhile, at schools nationwide, classes will no longer switch to distance learning after student tests positive for COVID. 
Instead, all students in the class who test negative in a rapid test can carry on in, with in-person classes as before. The Ministry of Education will distribute 800,000 rapid tests to schools on a weekly basis so that everyone has access to them. The teacher hands out a rapid test to each child so that they can get tested at home if need be. Starting Monday, new COVID school rules took effect. A positive in class no longer means class goes online for everyone. I like having class at school because if I come to school, I can play with my friends. If we're not positive, why should we have to stay at home? Now, if we test negative, we can keep coming to school. After an assessment of student needs and risks, the Ministry of Education has eased COVID rules at school. After a student is diagnosed with a disease, all classmates that test negative can continue going to class as normal. So far, we have had at least seven classes switch to distance learning. So now, tests are phasing out isolation rules. I think that many parents hope their children can keep attending in-person classes. Being face-to-face -face with the students is more beneficial to their education. The Ministry of Education says the switch to keep classes going was made in consideration of the lower severity of the virus and the needs of modern family life. Calling off in-person working classes and having parents working from home or taking their kids around is not easy. Maybe both parents are working. I think this government policy was made in response to the needs of parents. Also on Monday, Taiwan's border reopened to travelers from dozens of countries, including the U.S., Canada, New Zealand, Australia and Taiwan's diplomatic allies. Under visa-exempt entry, travelers can engage in business operations, take part in exhibitions, carry out inspections, participate in exchanges, go sightseeing and visit friends and relatives. The countries affected had previously resumed visa-exempt entry for Taiwanese nationals. Now that Taiwan's booster coverage is above 72 percent and next-gen vaccines could roll out by month's end, it seems Taiwan is gradually returning to normal life.